It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome back for another episode of the Atop the Pitbox podcast. I'm Zach Dick, along with my partner, Josh Rolfus, and we're here to talk all things Indy road course race along with a preview of the Michigan International Speedway this weekend in Michigan. Josh, how you doing, buddy? Zach, I am I'm super pumped. I I am I came into this ready to do this. We've got a lot of we got a shake up in the fantasy. We got a big announcement that we're about to drop. I'm I'm super super pumped. How about you? Same man. This is probably the most excited I've I've been for for an episode in a long time. So well, let's just jump right in. Let's let's tell them the exciting news here for the Atop the Pit Box podcast. We have secured a title sponsor for the podcast. So it's actually two of our league members. So Steve Rolfus and Rob Rolfus, and they run a bit run a, a company called Paradise Executive Properties. And Paradise Executive Properties is a they have seven homes currently located in Margaritaville down in Lake of the Ozarks. And they have a house for you if you're going down there and you want to just have a family reunion, a bachelor party, golf outing, or even just a, a weekend getaway, they've got the spot for you. It's they've got houses that sleep 10 to 19 people. So depending on the house and how many people get your friends and come on down to the Ozarks, they've got uh, competitively priced and we go down there every year and as a family spend a week down there. It's awesome. They've got everything that you need for kids, adults, there's pools, there's the, the lake, uh, there's golfing and food and, and all kinds of stuff, horseback riding. I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of other stuff, but just a really awesome time. So Paradise Executive Properties is going to be uh, supporting the show. And the website that you can go to to view the properties and book a reservation is ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. So again, ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Go there, check out the properties. If you're looking for a, a time to get away or a place to to vacation to, this is the spot. I know, Zach, we've talked about, I, I go every year and we talked about getting our families down there for the for next year. Uh, what do you think about us getting a sponsorship before Kyle Busch? <laughs> well, we should, we should see if they want to sponsor Kyle Busch too while they're at it. You know, they got their <laughs> checkbook out, so let, yeah. let's make it happen, but... No, I, I've never been to Lake of the Ozarks, and you guys always talk about it. So uh, I, I hope we can get something together, you know, next year. But I'm excited that uh, Paradise Executive Properties decided to uh, to take a leap of faith here with us on the Atop the Pit Box podcast. Uh, the title sponsor, like you said, so we'll be throwing their name out here uh, the rest of the year and moving forward. So I'm just excited that they decided to do this. I looked at the homes. I went to the website. The homes look awesome. Like you said, they basically sleep as many or, or, or as few as you need. So they've got a house for every situation, every party, uh, every weekend getaway that you can imagine. So again, ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Steve and Rob will get you hooked up. Yeah, and, and make sure you plan it out. I know they're super busy down there. So uh, if, you, if you are thinking about going, get that booked uh, as soon as possible. So um, again, 
thank you guys for for supporting and uh happy to have a, an actual title sponsor for the for the podcast so pretty pretty awesome stuff before we get into our other topics i do want to just take a moment and and thank everybody for listening and tuning in we do appreciate it it's it's why we do this so we're we're very grateful that everybody can can tune in and get something out of this hopefully make sure you're subscribing so that you get notified when the the new episodes drop and also on november 6th we will be at the West Side in Harlan, Iowa for our year-end celebration. So I know we've already been planning deep stages of, of that, and we're going to have some shirts for sale. We're going to have some giveaways, and uh, it's going to be a really good time. So hopefully everybody makes it out for our uh, end-of-the-year celebration. So that being said, let's get into free agency. It seems like this has been a, just a hot topic every time this week or on our, on, for our podcast. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep the the topic going, the momentum going here about free agency news. So we do have two topics to cover tonight. There, the first topic: Eric Jones. So he was a free agent. He is not a free agent anymore. He has agreed to a multi-year extension with Petty GMS Motorsports. He is uh, going to continue driving the number forty-three car. He's done a really good job for that team this year. Uh, he's got some you know, pretty good results and he's, you know, been pretty consistent. So all in all, I think it's a pretty good match. He wants to continue driving for, for the King Richard Petty. They wanted to keep him in their car, especially with how competitive they've been. And then you look at the free agent landscape, there's just, there's not a lot of driver options out there. So again, it seems like it's a pretty good match. Uh, and Eric Jones is scooped up off the free agency list um, for next year and moving forward. Second topic, our boy Kyle Busch. So he, he finally discussed or, or, or talked with the media pretty in-depth last weekend at, at Indy uh, about the situation he's in as well as, you know, how things stand at this point as well as, you know, kind of discussions back and forth. And he came out and he, he admitted that he knows there needs to be concessions made uh, and he's probably going to have to race under his market value just with the sponsorship landscape. Again, we've touched on this for a while now. The business model for NASCAR, it's different, it's weird, and because it is sponsorship-driven and with how hard it's been for them to get a sponsorship lined up, he understands that he's probably going to have to take a pretty significant pay cut in order to stay at Joe Gibbs Racing for next year and possibly beyond. So I thought that was an interesting thing. He basically said, yes, I'm willing to take a pay cut to stay at Joe Gibbs Racing. He also said that his only goal right now is to re-sign with Joe Gibbs, whether that it's a one-year deal, whether that's a two-year deal. He He's really... I mean, if you think about it, he ha he holds no leverage in this situation at this time. So exactly. he's willing to take a short deal. He's willing to take a pay cut. It seems like this is the first time that he's actually come out and basically ate humble pie. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this works. We'll see if they're able to get a contract uh, agreed to. Uh, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that a driver of his caliber, his talent, the number of wins that he has, two championships, that he still has no deal to this point. After hearing that, Josh, what are your thoughts in regards to the concessions he's willing to make? So, is 
is the is his personality the reason that the sponsorship is not there and and is it or is it just that it's so expensive and there's not a lot of companies that can can really afford to to sponsor a car for a full year is it a mix of both what's the what is the situation i personally think it's a mix of both you hate kyle bush because of his personality i don't hate it you know again he's grown on me but i do see how fans dislike him because of his personality and how he always you know whines and complains always blames others so i think that might have something to do with it but i really think the biggest piece holding this up is just sponsorship and the cost of running a race team with this business model that they have. I, you know, from everything that you hear, I mean, again, the cost is astronomical, say 20, 25 million bucks. If they, and that's just to get the race car on the track. And then you gotta, you gotta think about what it costs to get this driver in the seat. So if a sponsor is only only willing to cover five to ten million dollars, is Joe Gibbs willing to spend fifteen million bucks or so out of his own pocket just to have Kyle Busch in his seat? So as we you know as we've touched base, they're in the big past, numbers. They're they're big numbers, and this business model just does not suit the situation well for what what position Kyle Busch is in today, along with Joe Gibbs Racing. So it's going to be interesting to see him uh, if he if he finds another team or if he has to sign under his market value. I, I think it's pretty obvious that he's not gonna he's not gonna get what he originally wanted. Yeah, and so that you know they're saying you know take a one year deal, take a massive pay cut, say five to six million dollars is is what his salary might be, whereas in the past years. Yeah, it's still a ton of money to you and me. To into them, it's you know obviously it's a lot of money, but it's nowhere close to what these drivers were making four, five, six years ago. So they're saying take a one-year deal, take a pay cut. Once NASCAR gets these new media rights figured out and they start divvying out, hopefully the pie to these NASCAR teams, then hopefully you can come back to the table and get your pay raise or, or get fair market value for what you're. For what he should get once these teams don't have to rely on these sponsorship dollars. So again, this is going to be a topic we're, we're going to talk about every single week until there's announcements made or, or an agreement is, is made with Joe Gibbs Racing. So I also wanted to touch on uh, Tyler Reddick signing. So I don't know if you got me started listening to Door Bumper Clear. And so I don't know if you've uh, heard the episode this week. And if, if you guys are looking for some additional uh, NASCAR content, this podcast is really good. Um, but they actually had Denny Hamlin on. And he was saying that Tyler Reddick wanted a multi-year deal. And Richard Childress said, you have no wins. And we're not in a position to do that. So he signed him to a one-year deal. And from what Hamlin was saying is if he didn't sign him, then he Reddick had other offers on the table for, for that year. So it, it kind of sheds a little bit of light on that situation. It wasn't, you know, Hamlin just going behind the back. And I know Childers came out and said uh, that's not how he did it with, with Harvick, which, you know, wasn't true. But um, interesting to, to see that, you know, he didn't get the deal. 
the long-term deal that he wanted, goes out and wins two races. And Hamlin's thinking, this is, this is a, a gold mine here. I hit the, I hit the lottery with this kid. So, uh, it sounds like there was definitely some urgency on his part to, to get the deal done. You know, and it also sounds like there were higher offers on the table for Tyler Reddick yeah. than what Denny Hamlin signed him to. Yeah. But he saw what Denny Hamlin was doing with the team. They've been fast. They haven't had the results that, you know, show for it. But he was excited to see that progress of the team. It's a new team. And so Denny Hamlin offered the contract. And like like you pointed out, it wasn't the biggest contract, but he was excited to work with Denny in 2311 Racing. And from the sounds of it, there was larger contracts on the table for Tyler Reddick if he, if he chose to go a different route. So if you think about like the NFL free agency and you, you know, the other major sports teams can't have contact with other players until free agency starts. And so there's some, there's some back and forth on that podcast about, you know, does it feel wrong? Is it wrong that you're talking to drivers who are still under contract to sign deals for, you know, for a year and a half out, two years out. So it's an interesting thought in regards to that, that they brought up on the podcast. So again, it's a great podcast and, and they know their stuff, but um, I thought that was very interesting to, to hear that Reddick had multiple offers on the table, even though he was still under yeah. contract for another year and a half. Yeah, definitely interesting details to, to make that story even more uh, juicy than it was. So, Let's get to talking about the race. So, Indy Road Course, this is a, a race that seems to have divided people into one of two camps. Either the camp is, you liked it because it was chaos and madness, or you hated it because it wasn't real racing and you wanted the oval back. So, which camp would you say you fall under? I am I am in the oval camp 100%. We talked a little bit about work or uh, you know about this at work and unfortunately these these road course races are just turning into a demolition derby especially since this next gen car is a lot stronger than the car, you know, last year. So I think these drivers feel a little bit more invincible and then they also know that they can just push people around and they have to in order to get good results. So I am in the camp that I hate, I hate what road course racing has turned into. I think there's too many road course races on the schedule. You have a next gen car that's, you know, shown some pretty good racing on the intermediate tracks. Why not bring the oval back or do a rotation of oval one year road course the next? What are your thoughts? What's your opinion on that? So I really do enjoy, I, I thought it was a really good race. I enjoyed it. I thought for a road course, I thought it was pretty interesting. I do understand the argument because turn one was a, a, a madhouse and you had people going five wide and just diving in. And it, it reminded me of when I play NASCAR heat and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and I just don't let off the throttle and just push everybody up the wall. So it, it seemed kind of uh race 
you know, it just seemed it's not racing. It's yeah, not racing. It's it just just felt like an arcade. Yeah. And, and so I understand that. Uh, I wish that there was a way to allow that hard racing and, and those those restarts going in turn one were, were really exciting. If they could figure out a way to just dial it back just a little bit so that there's still, you know, three wide, there's still some bumping. Um, but you saw, I mean, Blaney got wrecked in there. Chase Elliott was, was at the front again. He got turned from like three cars back. Um, you had Logano diving in five cars wide yeah, and five wide. I mean, what an, what an idiotic move on his part. And the sad thing is, is it worked out. He came yeah. out sixth after that. Right. Right. And, the, and that's what, so how are you not supposed to do that? So I don't want, I'm okay with getting rid of the road course. I, I like the ovals better. Uh, I think we have enough road courses, so I'm fine going back to the oval. I just, I wish that I don't, I don't hate the road course as much as everybody else did. Um, even with turn one and and all the issues that that presented, I still thought it was exciting and and the the best car still won. So um, Tyler Reddick was was the fastest car, and that is you know that's who won. So speaking of Blaney, so I've got I've got two quotes for us tonight in regards to this race recap. One from Blaney and one from a crew chief. That kind of sum up the Indy Road Course race and kind of the 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 NASCAR state as we know it today. From the driver, from from the the people that are involved in its perspective. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So I just want to th- you know we have our perspectives, we have our opinions. So I just wanted to throw in a driver as well as a crew chief to kind of give us perspective uh, from both sides. So Ryan Blaney said after his wreck, and of course he's going to be upset, and, and he definitely should have been based on. Mm-hmm how he got used up in turn one there at the end of the race. For sure. He, he said, that's all people do at the end of these things. Just dive in there and wreck you. And that's exactly what happened. Basically, turn one, like we pointed out, Logano went and made it five wide at one point. And, of course, the idiot got rewarded and came out. He went from, like, 15th to 6th. And that shouldn't happen. So, of course... People see that they're going to keep doing it. Unfortunately, that leads to more wrecks, and, and again, just turns into chaos. Which, again, I am not a fan of at these road course races. Greg Ives, crew chief for Alex Bowman. He was, you know, he's been in the NASCAR industry for a long time. Here's what he said about NASCAR as well as Indy in regards to the state of where it sits today. He said racing is out of control. And the idea of trying to create more mayhem rather than racing competition is eroding away the integrity of the on-track product. There's a difference between good, hard racing and what happened at Indy. And I think those two comments sum it up perfectly for what happened at Indy and and how, to me, it was just an embarrassment of a a race uh, when it it basically comes down to it. And they and like I said, I I think if they could figure out a way to to dial it back a little bit, I the intensity on those restarts and it it was exciting. And I understand from a from a driver standpoint, if I was on the track, I would not want to to basically win a lottery to get through turn one um, and have no skill. So they definitely have a a point. Was, I know we're we've already got the announcement that we're coming back to Indy Road Course next year, and there is some talk about you know going oval road course and alternating year to year. But 
we got at least one more year of it, and we'll see see if anything gets fixed for for that. Penske announced it is coming back next year on the road course. There, that that is for sure. But there's also rumors going around that because of the racing product and how you know embarrassing or chaotic it was going into turn one, as well as the fan attendance was essentially the same as what the oval race had been toward the toward the end of the the oval as we know it. A lot of the spotters, a lot of crew chiefs, a lot of drivers are saying, just bring it back to the Oval. Indy has lost its prestige. The Brickyard 400 was one of the crown jewel races of NASCAR. And going to the road course, they tried to drum up fan interest. They tried to put more butts in the seats. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. So you look at Jeff Gluck's poll, out of all the voters in the poll, only 56.3% of voters said, yes, it was a good race. Our threshold of, of good to great, right around 80%, 56.3%. It's the fourth lowest race so far this year, and five out of the lowest seven races polled have been road course races or short track races. So I, I think that sums up everything in regards to short tracks and, and road courses and how it just turns into a demolition derby on restarts in the end of the race. I don't like how short tracks are on there, I think. I wish that uh, those are usually the, the exciting ones. So we're going to Bristol soon. I don't know if anybody heard. So I hope that the, uh, the short track gets fixed before that. And there's, they've been testing. They've been doing some things to these cars to see if they can get them to handle better on the short tracks. Because you remember Martinsville? Martinsville was a really, really boring race. There was no passing. They've been doing some stuff to the undercarriages of the car to try to see if they can improve passing, improve the racing product on the short track. So uh, we'll see if they get it fixed. I still think Bristol is going to be an amazing race. I can't wait to go there. Night race. It's a, it's a cutoff race in the playoffs. It's Bristol, baby. It's going to be great. Super pumped. Yeah. Uh, so some other storylines that we're following. So let's talk a little bit more about turn one. So that was a, a cluster the whole the whole race especially on the restarts we you've got uh kyle larson who i guess didn't have brake issues i don't know what exactly happened or what came of that but 130 miles an hour plowing into turn one and and thankfully ty Dillon was there to to kind of save him because he it could have been bad yeah it could have been really really bad uh so don't run but clear they said the 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 stat or the data box in the car showed that he was going 125 miles an hour into turn one. Wow. And if Ty Dillon wasn't there, all that really is left is this little tiny man-made barrier before you go like another couple hundred yards into the wall. So he needs to send Ty Dillon a Christmas present, thanking him for basically – stopping him from what could have been a very serious serious situation so that was a and that his car got off the ground all four tires off the ground when he after he slammed into dylan it was that replay was you're you're amazed that he was both drivers were able to get out and and walk away from that because it it could have been very bad that has to be one of the hardest, craziest wrecks that we've seen so far this year. You got Busher, you know, it's flipped in the past. 
uh, Larson. So, man, everything you read, I don't, it sounds like there was no mechanical failure on his car. So I don't know what happened for him to basically go be going 125 miles an hour in the turn one like he was and, and really not, not slow down. So I don't know what the true story is. <laughs> Hendricks come out and said there was no brake issues. Uh, I, I don't know what to believe, but either way, scary wreck. Just glad Ty Dillon broke his broke his momentum, or else that could have been a really bad situation. So also on turn one, and then we had the uh, restart at the end, and Ross Chastain gets a little creative and takes the access road and uh, ends up in second place, where he battled uh, he battled Tyler Reddick for the lead, and we weren't really sure if he was going to be penalized or, or what, what are your thoughts on Ross Chastain's move? So I'm going to break this down. First off, what he did was legal based on what NASCAR told them before the race, as well as what the drivers all have said after the race. Was so it legal he, though? Was it legal or did they just not specifically say you don't, you can't take the access road? It wasn't in the rule book that you couldn't do it. So he used that to his advantage, whether he admits it or not. But he made the smart move. If you look, if you watch the replay, they're four and five wide. He is the car on the furthest outside or inside, however you're looking at it. There was zero chance he was going to make it through turn one. So he decided, you know what? The rule book, all the spotters were even talking about it before the race too. Like they said, someone is going to do this. And it's going to be really interesting to see what NASCAR decides to do when that happens. Because then they do that in the – they let them do in the Xfinity series. I think they a, – a, a car went through there and was able to get – or no. Did, I, don't, I don't know if the Xfinity series did it, but – Truck series maybe? Bubba, Bubba Wallace kind of had a similar situation where he – but they NASCAR said he was forced off the track and they let him keep his position. So if – if you remember, he basically drove through the grass and and cut everyone off and gained a bunch of spots by doing that. But because NASCAR said he was forced off the track, they let him stay. But based on them deeming Chastain doing that willingly and really not being forced, they said that he he got a 30-second penalty, which then relegated him to, to you know the mid-20s. So you don't finish. think he should have got the penalty? So even Joey Logano came out again. I hate I hate Joey Logano with a passion, but he said what Chastain did was legal, and he should be rewarded with a second place finish. So yeah, but Joey Logano not a rules officiant. So I get that. But he's, he's he's coming from the standpoint of what the drivers' meeting was about, the rules that they were told, and what NASCAR all told them before the race started. And again, the spotters knew that this was going to be a topic and they knew someone was going to try it because the rule book and what NASCAR told them in the driver's meeting did not say they could not do it. Exactly. Right. It said you can't go, you can't use the access road to improve your position. He improved his position. He drove through the and cut, he didn't follow the course and went and got cut i don't know how many spots he made so up i think he went from i think he might I think, yeah i think it was like two three four spots something like that i think what 
again, the rules didn't specifically say anything. I think he took it, tried to use it to his advantage. I give him credit. I mean, good for him to try it. I mean, exactly. uh, it, it's worth a try if you're in that position. But I, I think I if he would have stopped, if he would have slammed on his brakes and came to a complete stop on that access road and then gunned it and got out of there, he would have came out, you know, fourth or fifth but it would have been better than getting caught up into a wreck in turn one and most likely finish finishing where he, where he uh, was after his 32nd penalty. It kind of goes back to the, the spirit of the rule. And there's some people in the world that live in this gray area. And I've, I've come across them in my past where unless it says specifically, you cannot do it. These people live in that gray area. doesn't make it right. doesn't necessarily make it wrong. But in the spirit of this race, it that's not the course. That's not that's not what you're supposed to do. He knows it. Everybody knows it. The penalty is what it is. In, in his defense, though, NASCAR as a whole is a gray sport. Every team is cheating. Every team is is stretching the boundaries and the limits of these cars to try to make them as fast as possible. Agreed. So so gray is NASCAR. NASCAR is gray. Those those two are are, are in the same That's fine, sentence. But you can't complain every time. when you get caught. When you get caught, just like Hamlin got caught, you own it and you say, yeah. "All right, I pushed too far, and and you got me. You called me out on this one." But I, I just, for me, I don't think the penalty was a surprise it shouldn't have been a surprise they should have called it the second that he didn't stop so that he's not racing reddick for the lead and potentially spinning him out uh, which would have been just disastrous for for nascar um, if they had to come back and you know a week after they they disqualify their top two racers now they're going to have somebody that was you know out of the race wreck their leader so i think that uh I think that's what bothers me the most about that situation. If he, he did, the rule specifically said or didn't say that he that a driver couldn't do that. So he went and did it, and NASCAR said, "Oh crap, this has g- given him an advantage. We've got to give him a thirty-second penalty." Okay, that's fine, but for them to wait two laps yeah. to make that decision is what bothered me the most about that. Because if we remember Great. last year. Yep. Chase Briscoe got black flagged or a th- got the penalty because he cut, cut turn one through the grass. He was racing Hamlin for what he thought was the win. He took out Denny Hamlin as he was you know, under penalty, and we about had the same situation with, with Tyler Reddick and Chastain. So my biggest gripe to NASCAR is, one, they should have known that that was, going, that was a possibility right. and that was going to happen. Yep, and they didn't make any changes come Sunday, so that's kind of their fault for that. And then two, if you want to penalize him, that's fine, but you better give him the penalty as fast as possible, so you don't have him, you know, ruining the race or deciding a race or taking a driver out that should otherwise not be taken out. So here's an idea: what if we do a road course where there's options to go around? Like, like you could take, you could go left or you could go right. And, and the field just kind of picks, you know, goes around where there's a couple of those, uh, on the track. So there's not just one path that you can go to. You can kind of figure out what's running, what's running well, or what's faster. I think that could be a good way to get some excitement in these road courses. 
So it sounds like you want NASCAR to turn into Mario Kart and road course. Is that, is that what I'm? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. We drop some banana peels. You got you got the turtles. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Um, Let's do a figure eight. <laughs> I think that's. I, I think it's hilarious and, and coming from the PlayStation, you know, Mario Kart world. It sounds fantastic. But me, I think they just need to take the indie oval or the indie road course race off off the schedule, do the oval, or replace it. Like like the spotters were saying on Dorn Proper Clear, the indie road course race has turned into a joke. And if yeah. you want to keep if you want to have a road course race that actually has racing, take it back to Road America. They just took Road America off the schedule, replaced it with a Chicago Street Road Course race. If you want a road course, okay, that's fine. Everyone wants road courses to be less, including myself. I think there's too many on the schedule to begin with. But if you want th- that race specifically to be a road course race, send it back to a true road course, like Road America, where Indy is a is just a made up road course that they hurry up and put together, and it's not suited for these cars, in my opinion. So, yep. hot topic. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if if it you know, truly is on the schedule again when they announce it for next year, if they're going to make some changes there. And then pit strategy. So this is one that I struggle with because I look at somebody like Tyler Reddick, who was leading stage one, was dominant in stage one, and he pits with, with two or three to go because he needs to, he wants to keep his track position. So it's almost like NASCAR is forcing these drivers to to choose between a stage win and stage points, which could be very valuable, and winning the race, which is obviously the goal of, of every dra- driver. So um, tell me why I'm wrong. Well, so you're right, but you're wrong. <laughs> All right. That's very political. So, yes. So – Unfortunately, with these road course races and all the different strategies that are involved, these guys come in to the race, these teams come into the race, and they've got all kinds of scenarios laid out. If there's a caution with five to go, the whole field pits. He, he maintains track position, probably wins the stage, as he should have because he had the fastest car. But with how these road courses are, the lack of cautions – You've got to basically you got to decide: Do I want to be stage racing, or do I want the grand prize at the end, and that's to win the big trophy? And the reason why winning is so important, even for guys that already have a win or two or three locked up, is stage points don't carry over into the playoffs. They help your overall point standings now. So if your points, if you're trying to points race yourself in into the playoffs you're going to want to win the stage or, or race for stage points. But these guys that already have wins, they want the win because the win is worth five or 10 points. And those carry over into the playoffs, which are very valuable points. So to your point, sense. yes, NASCAR with how they've done the point system and stuff, they've kind of forced a hand, whether they want to race for the stage win or they want to you know, race for the ultimate win. But there's a lot of pit strategy that's involved. And there's also, you know, if like I said, if a caution comes out with two, three, four laps to go, everyone's pitting. So that basically forces everyone's hand. And he would come out still in first place, most likely, and win the stage. 
But because there's so few cautions on these road courses, the teams that are in the top five or even the top 10 with two, three laps to go in each stage, and they're trying to win the race, will eventually pit. They might come out, you know, 10th, 15th, 20th, but the cards ahead of them have to eventually pit. So then they get their track position back and they're in a better position to win the race than they were if they did otherwise. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that? It does. I, I, I guess I struggle with the 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 best car not winning the stage. And, and I get that the stage, I guess I put a more emphasis on the stage win than than probably should. The the point about the the win gets you points that carry over to the playoffs. So that that difference or that differentiator is is pretty large, I think, um, and why those strategies came into play. And we saw quite a bit of differing strategies from you know the tires and and when to pit and you know from a from a strategic standpoint, I thought it was was pretty interesting to see these these teams have the opportunity to make some out of the box decisions to improve their track position because you know it it was kind of hard to pass out there so. And I think Ryan Blaney's crew chief had the best strategy and best call of the race when he decided to go no tires. Got Blaney's track position. He was in the top three. If that thing goes green and, and ends green, he gets a top five. Maybe is is even there at the end of race, you know, Reddick for the win. You just never know. Uh, but unfortunately, that caution came out and then turn one just turned into a, a demolition derby and he was crashed. So... Overall, though, from a pit strategy standpoint, you saw everything from no tires, two tires, four tires. But my call of the race or my crew chief of the race was Ryan Blaney's crew chief because I thought that pit strategy or pit call was the best call of the race. Are you surprised that he was the only one that that made the choice for zero tires? It, it kind of feels like tires weren't really an issue like they are at other tracks. And not that I'm saying that they weren't important, but if you're, you know, in 10th, 11th, 12th, you know, you know, trying to win this race, getting no tires and, and getting that track position, I think is, is almost, it seems obvious now. And I guess I just don't, are you surprised that more teams didn't do that? I am surprised because they saw, I mean, I think he did it earlier in the race as well. And he was able to maintain his track position. And again, I think it was Blaney, but I could be wrong. But someone did it in to start the race or in the beginning of the race, and it worked out really well. So I'm really shocked that more teams there toward the end when everyone was having to pit for fuel did not use that strategy for whatever reason. So I, I am a bit surprised that tires really didn't make that much of a difference at a, at a road course race, especially with how much slipping and sliding and how and – how, uh, you know, slick the track was, but again, Ryan Blaney's crew chief, what a heck of a call to get him, you know, second, third place up there battling for the win before that re that last restart and he got taken out. Yeah, for sure. So with the, we mentioned Tyler Reddick pitted before, so he gave up his, his lead for stage one. Briscoe wins stage one. Christopher Bell wins stage two. So, you know, he was a popular pick for, for this road course, but the winner was the best car. He led the most laps. Tyler Reddick, who uh, battled, you know, a couple restarts towards the end, had had every opportunity to blow this, 
with Chastain, you know, coming out of nowhere to to be on his tail, and really just a a really solid performance from Tyler Reddick, as as somebody who owns Tyler Reddick and is on one of his teams and uh, didn't swap him out for Chastain. This felt good, and uh, always like to see Reddick with a win. Yeah, he he by far was the was the dominant driver and had the fastest car. So uh, as another, you know, fantasy team of mine that has Reddick as well, I was glad to see him uh, lead the most laps and get the win. And it's, it's funny how the floodgates open, you know, these guys in, in the sport, you know, a golfer or a driver, they, uh, they struggle to get their first win. They've got the talent, they've got, you know, everything possible to get them a win and it doesn't happen. They start asking questions you know, what's wrong, what's going on. And then once you get that first win, it seems like the floodgates open. You know, Tony Finau on the PGA Tour, all of a sudden just winning nonstop. <laughs> Tyler Reddick finally gets his first win at a road course race, mind you. And then he gets his second win, you know, shortly thereafter at another road course race. So again, nice to see him win. He, he was by far the best driver and fastest car all day. Yeah, good day for Tyler Reddick. Not a good day. For our picks, though, Zach. Uh, Larson, for you, finished in 35th. Not that's a, good, right? Uh, Is that good? Yeah, yeah. No, that's not good. He he had a rough day. Kind of a, a, a weird day for him. My pick, Chase Elliott, finished in 16th position. And really was... He was right there. He was going to push Redick. And on that restart... Some knucklehead from six rows back pushes the cars up and and takes just catches his bumper and and spins him out and and was able to salvage 16th but still uh, broke his top two stretch or the 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 last was the last six races he was in the top two and so breaks that streak again I I love to see it and I hope this you know this creates a new streak of tops you know 16s or worse here for the rest of the year that'd be fantastic. You're the worst. <laughs> Let's go to fantasy. So this is this is the other reason that I'm super hyped. So team average was 99 points, which is crazy. The last couple of weeks have been in the 60s and 70s. You would have thought this was a, a super speedway. In fact, it was the second highest team average of the year with only the Daytona 500 at 102. So you think about the Daytona 500, that is just carnage, and it's just just a madness. Um, this race almost matched that. We ha- Not surprised. Not surprised with how chaotic the race was, and especially turn one. These road course races have turned into demolition derbies. You know, we've said this a couple times already on the podcast, but I didn't realize, I, I knew it was going to be high, but I did not think it was going to be only three points behind the Daytona 500, which was just pure carnage. So that did shock me or surprise me with how high it was. So we had a high of 150 points from Tammy Colby, who's kind of, her team's t- kind of taking a hit. She was in the in the top 10 for a few weeks, and she's had some bad luck with her team uh, with 150 points. The low, Steve Rolfus, number one of ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. So he had a low of 42 points. So a really good, really good day for Steve Rolfus, number one, when the average is 99 and you're more than, you know, less than half of that. So 
But let's get to the big news. The big news is the podcast jinx may still be alive. It just was a week late. So Taylor fought off with uh, two disqualifications. He, he stayed in first place last week. Could not do it again this week. Our new number one, Amy Weiss. Just her second week in the top 10, and she's already found herself at the top. So, Zach, what do you think about our new new leader? Again, I really hope this podcast curse is not a real thing for it's us. Definitely gonna hurt. It's going <laughs> to hurt our, our uh, interviewers, our interviewees. For sure. For <laughs> sure. But uh, it just shows you how one race can just completely swing the standings with how tight these things are. So... Fortunately for Taylor, he, he's no longer the number one driver, but he didn't fall very far, and he's still in a pretty solid spot you know, here with a couple races to go before the playoffs start. So just a note on, on Amy and just to kind of put her, her impressive run in perspective. After the Phoenix race, she was in 89th out of 100 spots. So that is... To make it to number one from from eighty nine is is really impressive. So shout out to Amy, nice job. She is the top spot on our top ten. She had sixty seven points, so a really good week for for her team, which makes number two Taylor Schleiss. So for the first time in a long time, Taylor has not been the number one team. So he falls one spot to number two. He had ninety five points, so still below the average, but not enough to to fight off Amy and and drop that that top spot. Number three, Steve Rolfus, number four, moves up one spot. He had 74 fantasy points, so another good week for Steve Rolfus. Crazy Dale stays in the top 10 but falls uh, two spots to number four. He had 109 points, so one of two teams in our top 10 to have higher than the average points for last week. Ryan Brash, number two, stays at number five. He had 96 points. Kinnick Rolfus and Jasmine Rolfus flip-flop spots. So Kinnick moves up to number six from number seven, and Jasmine falls from number six to number seven. And Kinnick had 90 points, and Jasmine had 104. So she was the other team that that exceeded the, the average there. Number eight, even bigger sandwich makes his return to the top 10 for the second time this year, up 10 spots with 61 points. And then we had a tie for ninth spot. Adam Studer was up five spots and makes his first appearance in the top 10 this year with 76 points. And he is tied with Richard Rainey, who stayed in ninth, and he had right at the average of 99 points. So we had Adam Studer, an even bigger sandwich, Joined the top 10, which means we lost two. Bigger Sandwich fell out. So had 119 points, but still in the playoffs at, at P12. And Reagan Rolfus fell to P11, down two spots, and she had 109 points. So anytime you have above the average, it's it's going to be probably not good news for you. A couple notes on the, on the standings. Adam Studer has two teams in the top 15. We've talked in the past about we had Dan Grable win, uh, had the, got first and third in one year. So maybe Adam Suter can can match that feat. And then your boy, 
I got two teams in the top twelve. So things are looking things are looking up for for the sandwich family over here. Hate to see it. Hate to see it. Hopefully Chase Elliott just wrecks the rest of the year and the, your team are going to plummet out of the standings. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wish him ill will on the Napa Auto Parts boys. Uh, <laughs> all, this, all this falling talk, let's talk about the risers of the week. You mentioned Steve Rolfus, number one. So number one at Rolfco went from P48 to P29. Carly Seaman went from P69 to P54. Mike Castens went from P64 to P51. Brian Martin at Brian Martin 89 went from P50 to P37. Lois Heasy went from P48 to P35. And Keeley Park went from P29 to P16. So there's a lot of risers there, but after, after uh, Carly, there were four teams that rose 13 spots. So we had to include all of them there. Uh, you look at the teams, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Bubba Wallace, some Cindricks, and a lot of Tyler Reddicks. So again, when, you're, when you have uh, the race winning team, the laps leader, it's going to help your, your points uh, when it comes time for the standings to be released. So good weeks for those guys in regards to the fallers of the week. A little a little rough for my friends and family here. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get to this part. And, well, you already mentioned Tammy Colby. She went from P25 to P43. My boy Andrew Dickel went from P28 to P45. And my brother-in-law Patrick McMeekin went from P17 to P31. So you look at those teams, unfortunately, Chastain's, Harvick's, Larson's, Blaney, uh, and Dylan. Just just not good when it comes to, to their performance this past weekend, which results in, in some decent falls. Good news is the standings are so tight. And as last weekend points out, you have one good weekend or one bad weekend here with four races to go before the playoffs. Uh, you can make some big, big swings in the standings. So we'll see if they can rebound, you know, this weekend at Michigan. I love seeing your family in the, in the fallers and my family in the top 10. That's a, that's a good look for us. Well, again, well, there's, there's a road course race and, and Daytona coming up, boy. So don't, uh, don't count your chickens before they hatch. <laughs> uh, looking at the rookies, Taylor Schleiss, P2. Weird not seeing P1 next to his name. David Bangert, is in P22 in the playoffs. Keeley Park, P16 in the playoffs. Bush, Bush, Busher, our boy Chance, in the playoffs at P21. So love seeing people that are in their first year making the playoffs. Really, really exciting. And then we said, like you mentioned, Patrick McMeekin in, uh, in 31st. As we look towards the playoffs, the the difference between first and twenty fourth grew a little bit, so it's up to one hundred and twenty three points. So still pretty tight, but we're running out of races here, and and at some point that's going to become insurmountable. But uh, the difference between twenty fourth and fiftieth is one hundred and five points. So again, like you said, we got another road course. We've got Daytona. Um, there's there's going to be an opportunity for some big scores, and and low scores will will obviously. Uh, 
impact that pretty significantly. So looking at the last four in, Bush, Bush, Busher, David Bangert, Mark Krejci, and Zach Dick, number two, unfortunately, would be your last four in. Your first four out, Big Sandwich, <laughs> Mike Colby, Matt Powers, and Mark Paulson would be your first four out. So that is the, the playoff. That's the fantasy recap. And now we turn our attention to Michigan International Speedway, where our stat guy, our fearless leader, Justin Norton, will be attending this race with uh, with his father, Tracy, who refuses to come on the podcast because, uh, I don't know. He's I scared. He's, he's just afraid. Wait, I mean, he's a little bitch, is he? I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's close. It's it's close. We just got to give him some shit. You know, it's it's all fun, but uh, we would like to have have you on, Tracy. So just uh, you know, keep it open. So let's talk about Michigan. Yeah. So and like he pointed out, Norton and and his dad are going up there. They're going to give us. He said he's going to take some pictures. He's going to do some live tweeting uh, about the track and about his experience. So. You know, follow him on on Twitter if you just want to keep tabs and, and see what they all do up in Michigan. But yes, like you pointed yeah, awesome. out, this weekend's race at Michigan International Speedway. It's in Bro- Brooklyn, Michigan. It's also known as the Irish Hills uh, of Michigan. Typically, it's a boring race. There's really not a lot of cautions, uh, and there's some long green flag runs. So we'll see if, if that trend continues or with this new you know new car uh if there's some there's some more passing better racing we'll see if there's any tire issues that would caught you know bring out caution so we'll, we'll see how that all plays out but let's jump in we haven't seen any tire. Have, have we talked about tire issues the last few weeks it's kind of seemed like that that issue's been resolved so there's not been a tire that I can think of that has come off the actual car, as in the, they didn't get the lug nut or, or the center hub tightened enough. There were some flat tire issues this past weekend, but that was more due to the demolition derby, the chaos, <laughs> the damage on the fenders than causing the tire to go flat. So, yeah, like you pointed out, it seems like these guys are got, are, are getting better and better each week. Uh, this gotcha. is a... A really fast track, so we'll see if there's any tire issues um, that would be caused with the speeds here. But your Zach's track facts of the evening, presented by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Just love the name. Got to throw that in there. Facts number one. Groundbreaking took place on September 28th of 1967. And the track was built for a large price tag at the time of four to six million dollars. So just think, 1960s, four to six million dollars. Can't imagine what that cost would be today in regards to that. But that is your fact number one of the evening. Fact number two: Michigan is a sister track to Texas as well as Auto Club Speedway in California. And we know how the All-Star Race at Texas went this year, so I'm really, really hoping that even though this is a sister track of Texas... What does that mean? 
What does that sister track mean? Basically, it's it's a very similar track in regards to the, the banking in the corners and, and how the track is laid out. Uh, so, again, Texas was earlier uh, earlier on in the season in regards to the All-Star race, so I really hope this race isn't as boring as the All-Star race was. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Fact number three there are more than 8,000 campsites at the Michigan International Speedway, making it the largest registered campground in the state of Michigan. I thought that fact was pretty cool because you, you think of Michigan, there, a lot of people go there on family vacations to go tent camping, to go hiking. Uh, it, it's a really really scenic state as you get closer to the you know Canadian border as well as Lake Michigan. So to have that many campsites at a racetrack is mind-blowing to me, and I thought that was a really good fact to throw in here this evening. Number four, Michigan International Speedway is a bragging rights track due to the proximity to Detroit Michigan, or as we know it, the auto capital of you of the United States. It's only 70 miles away from Detroit. So there's a lot of bragging rights that go on at this track, as well as Charlotte, since NASCAR is headquartered in Charlotte. So that's something to keep in mind. A lot of these teams do put a little additional effort into this race because of how close it is to Detroit and the auto manufacturers. And the last Zach's track fact of the evening, Michigan International Speedway is the fastest track in NASCAR. So I said it was fast, but I didn't tell you it was the fastest track on the circuit today. So we'll see what these top end speeds come into play, you know, going into the corners, how fast they are. The old cars used to go 200, 205 miles an hour into the corner. We'll see if this you know, next-gen car goes that fast. But it is still considered the fastest track in NASCAR with how long this, the straightaways are and how uh, banked the corners are into the track. So that concludes your Zach's track facts of the evening. When you nice look job, at the, Zach. Thank you. When you look at the driver facts, you look at the active driver averages, Chase Elliott, your boy, leads all drivers with a 7.7 average finish. Kevin Harvick is second at 11.2. Kyle Larson's right there at 11.7. And Brad Keselowski is 12.5. So I knew that Penske has had some really good races there in the past, and those stats kind of kind of back that up. I wanted to deep dive further and look at the last five races. So the last five races, the leading average finisher is Martin Truex Jr. with 4.6. Kevin Harvick is there again at 4.8. And then you have the Joe Gibbs duo of Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch with 5.2 and 6.7. So if you look at the last five races... Joe Gibbs Racing is really fast and, and it's kind of dominated Michigan as a whole. The most recent winners, Blaney won it last year in 21. Kevin Harvick won both races in 2020 because of it was a COVID-shortened year. 
they did a back-to-back at Michigan. They raced there on Saturday. They raced there on Sunday. Kevin Har- Harvick won both of those. He also won Michigan in 2019. So he won three in a row there, which is a pretty impressive feat. And then Joey Logano won in 2019. So if you look at those stats there, it shows you that Fords are fast. Again, it's close to Detroit. These guys put a lot of effort into it, especially with Ford being in you know Detroit. So Fords have typically been fast, but that just kind of shows uh, or, or gives you some feedback in regards to who's been fast historically at Michigan International Speedway. With all of that being said, I went first last week in regards to picks for the race. You get to go first. Sweet. Who do you think is going to win? You can't take my guy this time. So, nope. Um, so I, I'm feeling really good about this pick. I, I think – so this driver has a chip on his shoulder. He has been fast in the past. So just looking at, at two-mile intermediate tracks, he's got five wins in 56 races. Been really fast lately, Kyle Busch, baby. You're picking Kyle Busch. Oh Kyle no, Bush. I'm getting a rowdy drink, and we're going to smash a pie in your face. So basically, you're copying me with my Sunday tradition, rowdy energy to support my boy Kyle Busch. He this Sunday, was, I am. He was going to be my pick of the race. <laughs> so. Because I wrote it you, down, I wrote it down before, just so that okay. it, you didn't you didn't think I, I no. So it. this has happened here now a couple times, and I'm going to pivot like like a good good person <laughs> does, and a knowledgeable fan does. Take your time. I, Don't rush. I am going to go with a man who has a chip on his shoulder. He needs a win to get into the playoffs as he is hovering on the brink of being outside looking in. Which one? He's, he's angry after how last weekend went. Oh, no. He got wrecked. I'm going <laughs> with with a Ford driver this weekend, fast Ryan Blaney. We're going with Blaney <laughs> for, the, for this weekend. So you want to so take my I pick, hoping, I'm going back to Blaney. I was really hoping that you weren't going to take him. I almost – so I had – I had Kyle Busch picked coming into this tonight. And as I was talking and, and thinking about it, I almost made a split decision and switched it up and picked Ryan Blaney. But I uh, I stuck with my, my gut pre-show and uh, and went with with, uh, with Kyle Busch. So, I, I, I am uh, shocked that as much as you despise Kyle Busch, that he is your pick this weekend. I think – I know – it's it's the person that I don't like. It's it's the it's the attitude. It's the it doesn't mean he's not a good racer. So he, okay. he is obviously a, a talented <clears throat> talented race car driver, and uh, he's had success on these types of courses. You said it yourself. It's a, their sister courses, and these two miles, he's been he's been really fast. So of late, historically, I feel really good. I think Blaney's a really good pick too. If I if I had to to pick a second one, he was going to be my second. So. It will it will be interesting to watch this uh, this race and see see if we can actually get a winner this time. So I hope one of us is right because both of these drivers are is is on my fantasy team. I'm in twenty fourth <laughs> right now. I want to start getting some momentum here in the next four races. I will be the sacrificial lamb for Kyle Busch. I will take a pie in the face if he gets his win. 
helps my fantasy team, and hopefully parlays this into some sponsorship for next year to stay at Joe Gibbs. So that's that's really nice of you, and it's a such a a sacrifice that you're making taking this pie in the face for Kyle Busch. I'm gonna let him know about it too. However, it's just a pie in the face. If you were to say, I'll shave my head, Kyle Bush, for you, that says that's a real statement. No. Pie in the face is enough. <laughs> pie in the I'm face really is enough. Trying. I'm really nope. trying here. You're never going to get me to shave my head. There's never there is say, no never, way that is going to happen. So I mean you say anyways. Never, <laughs> this has been this has been another another fun episode. Do you have anything left here to to finish finish tonight? No, I I, I mean I just want to say thanks again to our our new title sponsor, Paradise Executive Properties. Uh, visit them for for any rentals that you need down in the Ozarks. Again, ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com is the website, and really happy to have have them on board. And looking forward to a race. And then getting to talk about it. So I'm I'm super pumped. Can't wait for this weekend. Getting some updates from Nort as he's going to the track. And I know he's got yeah, all kinds of you know pit passes and stuff that he's going down to see. So it should be really awesome to to see the kind of experience that he has and kind of live vicariously through him for a weekend. So should be pretty uh, should be pretty awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to to see the pictures that he puts on Twitter in regards to. You know, signing, you know, the start finish line, yep. being on pit road, just seeing the pictures from the track. And and I'm going to tell him when we went down to Talladega, we were able to get on pit road and kind of go into the pit boxes, touch some tires. I'm hoping that he's able to do that. And I'm telling him to go to Ryan Blaney's <laughs> and Kyle Bush's pit stalls. And if he's got access, give him a little a, a good you know, good voodoo, touch their tires, get me some fantasy points so I can climb, get a little comfortable in these fantasy standings here as the, the race winds down become the, before the playoff starts. So I, I think that's going to be his top priority, I'm sure, when he's down there. Well, you know what? He's got to have plenty of time on his hands, so we'll see if he can make that happen. But as you pointed out, excited to see how his trip goes, excited to see the pictures he puts out from Michigan, excited that we've got a title sponsor here with Paradise Executive Properties. Uh, again, another great episode, Josh. Excited for this weekend. Can't wait to see how the race goes. And, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Atop the Pit Box podcast. It's no days off. Take no breaks. You in my lane. You in my way. Cross that line, it ain't your day, I lost my mind.